unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm excited. We have a very special guest on the show today, so I'm going to play a fly on the wall and absorb as much of the information as I possibly can. We certainly do. And let me, uh, let me start with a question. What does testing your online ads at a nine-figure level, and a nine-figure is three digits before the first of two commas, okay? Like hundreds of, hundreds of millions. Our special guest today, Walter Birch, is CEO of Envoy Media Group. They're a performance-based marketing company. And Envoy has spent many, many millions of dollars of its own money on Facebook, Google, and YouTube ads over the last 18 years. His company has generated more than $1 billion in sales for national clients, national companies using their own money and developing their own methods through imagination, testing, and refining. Walter has some unusual ideas about copy. I mean, really unusual. And also about how to partner with the company you're promoting. And he'll share them with us today. Needless to say, these ideas are gargantuanly successful ideas. So you may want to take notes. But first, let me remind you that copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you're making offers in highly regulated industries and you're making extreme claims, industries like health, finance, business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review before you write and after you write. Not before you write, after you write, and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Walt, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and uh, it's, it's an honor to be here. Well, great. I want to make a little disclosure here. Walt has been a longtime client of mine, and I've been reluctant to have him on the podcast. Not because I'm worried about what he's going to say or anything like that, but for other reasons, because what he does is unique and revealing all of his copy and all of his clients and his whole process might be bad for business, might harm his competitive advantage. But we figured out a way around that where you can still get some great information and and Walt can protect his own interests. Just this week, I learned that major national companies that Walt's company gets leads for dedicate hundreds of their own people take the calls from the leads exclusively from Waltz, the leads that Envoy Envoy sends them. And part of that, I think, is because of the unique philosophy and approach Walt takes with his ads. That is, because his ads are different, because the experience his customers, his prospects have is different in experience than other people, they're in a different frame of mind, the prospects when they reach the companies. So Walt and I agreed he's not going to reveal everything he and his team are doing for a couple of reasons. The first is, as I mentioned, the competitive advantage reason. But the second one is it would take 
hours and hours and hours to get into all the details. And so it would be impossible to explain everything on a podcast. But what this format is ideal for is for Walt to talk about the philosophy and the mindset and the approach he and his team are taking. And normally I'm kind of shy about that. I don't think it's that useful to copywriters. Here I do, because it's so radically different from what anyone else that I know of is doing that I think it would be useful both philosophically and practically for our viewers and listeners. So, Walt, you and your team have been developing this approach for 18 years. Could you tell us how you got started? There's a long story, but I'll give you the short story. It, it actually, and this is a short story, but it started in high school, believe it or not. Met a kid, we became instantly best friends at a, at a summer job, and he developed, he's a programmer, and he developed a search engine. And we basically, he offered me 50% as a business partner. And I said, I didn't create anything or any value. I, I feel like I need to earn it. So I said, how about I'll prove that I can market it? And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. I'm 16 years old. But what I did was I, I sat down to my parents, I think it was like a Tandy computer and dial up internet in 1999. And I put the search engine on sale on eBay for 4.3 million. I think I was just trying to get some publicity. And I don't know if I told you the story, but I've um, never heard it. Yeah. So I, I put the listing up. I never done it before on eBay. Didn't think anything of it. A few days later, I get a call from Mike Taggart, my business partner, and he's freaking out. Our servers are going down. We're getting all this traffic. What did you do? And then we went to eBay and we were featured on the homepage of eBay as the high ticket item. Someone had bid on it for 4.3 million. So it, uh, the auction ends and, you know, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to tell my parents that I'm considering not finishing high school and I'm just going to do this internet thing. We never got the money, which was tough to swallow, but it, it woke something up in both of us that just got us so excited about the potential of coming up with an idea and being able to execute on it. And just the, the possibility to connect with people through this digital thing that was just starting pretty early on. Uh, and we've been hooked ever since, but that's how I got into the internet world. And my early part of my career was mostly in SEO and traffic, but with Envoy, when we started Envoy in 2005, we decided that we were going to be a fully paid media company. And that's really kind of the beginning foundation of persuasion <laughs> and copywriting because you can't pay for media with mediocre results. But that's kind of, that was, that's how we got into this world. Yeah, well, I, I never had heard that story before, and, and we've been working together for a few years, but now I can see why you're not afraid of big numbers. Okay, so I want to go back 120 years to Chicago. John E. Kennedy coined the phrase salesmanship in print in a saloon, told to Albert Lasker, and that kind of changed the course of advertising forever. Um, but I think you've taken it to a new level. Um, with the way the funnel, if you want to call it a funnel, the sequence of uh, touch points you have with your prospect from seeing an ad cold, not knowing anything about you or the companies you're going to be uh, introducing them to, all the way through getting them to raise their hand and say they're a lead. Could you talk about that? And I'm especially interested in your viewpoint on prospects 
being extremely lonely when they have a problem? Sure. Well, the, the first thing I'll say is what, what we've learned now, it, it has taken 18 years of layers of just deepening our understanding of people and of markets and of companies. But the, the first thing I'd say, your, your question was, we realized that, you know, being in performance-based marketing, and that, that is our, our model, we only get paid when we deliver customers to national companies. We realized that every single part of the journey from the beginning to the end matters. And what, what we noticed early on is that the, the marketing world, the copywriting world often looks at marketing as a funnel, which is <laughs> ask a consumer if they think of themselves as a person going through a funnel. I mean, and that, that right there, even the framing of those words funnel already gets us off in, in a direction that's, that's not ideal. It, it doesn't lead to where people are. So we've taken this approach for many years where uh, we actually, I don't know that we coined it, it doesn't really matter, but this concept of de-virtualization, we realized that part of the biggest opportunity is, you know, back 120 years ago, salespeople knew how to build trust. They knew how to build rapport. They knew how important it was to make a consumer feel a certain way in order to do good business with them and make sure everybody feels good in the process. But in a virtual environment, it's so easy as a marketer for, to forget that these are real people <laughs> and they have real feelings. And even though it's taking place in a virtual environment, none of it is virtual. It's all 100% real. Yeah, and, and let me comment on that because I agree with you. One thing I'd like to say is you can throw out an ad and if it's on Facebook, you might get some comments, but if if you would say the same words to somebody and they were shocked or offended or shut down or angry, you would know right away. But you can like put on blinders about that stuff when you're um, in the virtual world. So I just wanted to underline your point, which is a really good one. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where we saw opportunity is that the virtual world create there's an there's incredible opportunity because of the scale but the blind spots are and the complexities of the things we can't quite understand or know that's going on in the consumer those are the opportunities and that's what we realized is that the more we can align ourselves to figure out what people are feeling the moment they see our ad the the better we can listen to that and what we noticed and this may be very valuable for for a lot of the the listeners is that we think that our job is to help people solve their problem or help them make their life better. But there's a really big reason why they haven't already solved a problem or improved their life. There's this confusion, there's this fear, there's a lot of what ifs, I'm not sure who to trust. And here we come along, or all of us collectively as copywriters and go like, watch this, I'm going to tell a story, I'm going to build some rapport. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to show them why this is such a good reason to, to take action. But what we're also doing is we're feeding into their problem, which is people have a problem solving their problem. And if we're not in tune with the fact that it's hard figuring out how to do, you know, solve X or improve whatever part of their life, then we're kind of feeding into that problem. And what we realized is instead of being directly in front of someone and kind of confront them, speaking at them. There's a method where we could essentially walk around the table, if you will, and we could sit down next to them 
and we could observe what they're seeing in their situation. We can look at what they're feeling. And just by validating the challenge they're having trying to make whatever part of their life better, it's amazing how we found people would start to gravitate towards us without using strong copy, without using very persuasive language. It, we realized that what we're doing is very attractive, which led us to the next question, which was, why? <laughs> why is this working? And one of the, the insights we discovered, and not it's not it's simple, <laughs> and it, it's kind of a no dust, you know, Captain Obvious statement, but it's we realize that everybody to some degree is operating on some level of loneliness in the areas specifically as it relates to whatever problem they have or whatever they're trying to make better in their life. And we realize like, oh my goodness, if someone doesn't have someone rooting them on and giving them confidence and you know helping them in whatever area of their life, it sounds like that's what they need before they need a product or a service. Sounds like if they're attracted to someone who can help them and give them some confidence and some hope, they're going to come after that person and they're going to say, keep going because I'm feeling really good right now. And I haven't, I haven't actually been able to even think about this area of my life. And, and one thing I'd say with, with how we discovered a lot of this is we've dealt with highly regulated, a lot of financial services, sensitive financial services. So we've dealt with more emotional markets and kind of sensitive markets, which is also what led us towards a softer approach because we realized we don't, as marketers and often with the cold audience, they don't know your brand yet. You haven't built, you know, you're not, we're not Pepsi, right? We don't create Pepsis. <laughs> but what happens is in many cases, when we're trying to persuade people, we don't have the permission to do that yet. And if a stranger were to walk up to us in a Starbucks and try to convince us of something, even with an incredible market, and maybe they even try to make us feel stupid saying no to their offer, which is kind of the Hermosia, <laughs> which by the way, a lot of great stuff there. But again, not necessarily, doesn't necessarily always make people feel good. But in these sensitive markets, we had to find a different way to help move people forward. Okay, so I'm going to take a, a very simple example that I'm pretty sure is not one of your uh, markets as an example. So let's say that I can't balance my checkbook. I mean, I literally cannot do the math to figure out what my balance is. And it's driving me crazy. And let's say that's actually a problem. So a very factual thing about balancing my checkbook is probably not going to reach me. A benefit-driven thing about balancing my checkbook is not going to reach me. Why? Because I'm feeling all this shame. I'm thinking, I went to good schools. I got good degrees and good good grades and in my math classes. I can I can even do other kinds of math okay. And so there's some there's this emotional stuff that is keeping me from I I know the problem, but it's keeping me from touching anyone else because I feel so emotionally bottled up. Mm -hmm. And if you if you reach me in a way that says uh, online that says a lot of people have this problem. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just some people can't do this well. And, and we have people who can help you learn how to balance your checkbook. That's going to reach me more than, you know, someone making me feel stupid because I can't balance my checkbook. 
Yeah. Did I have that right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's what I hear you saying there is that number one, people are not in a constant state of shopping. They're not, they're not aware very specifically of their problem or the solution. They're carrying the weight of it emotionally. That's true. And, uh, and by the way, that's, well, we'll go to this maybe in a few minutes, but the, yes. And and to take what you did even further, a a first person statement could resonate even more where someone says, I'm doing, you know, like my life's a little crazy, but all in all, I'm pretty happy with how things are going, you know, family, kids, work, but I don't know what it is. I have a mental block when it comes to my finances, like something about it just stresses me out. And it feels ridiculous because I can, I can manage the finances of my company. I can handle this. I can handle that, you know, but you can create, you could create a first person experience that someone would resonate, which by the way, that, that is the social experience. It's, it's seeing other people's lives and then imagining how that relates to yours, which is a very powerful thing that goes on all the time. And a lot of marketers don't use that, but yes, that's the thing is that most likely at any given moment, the odds that someone is floating around the internet thinking about their finances is extremely, extremely low, but that emotion is always there, but it's closed up. It's not readily available for a marketer to access. So, but I could say, Hey, are you, do you struggle with finances? Do you feel embarrassed? Well, at that point already, I'm asking, someone's asking for permission for a stranger to let me go there and admit to that, which already is kind of like, I may not accept that enough. Some do, and that's why it can work in direct response. But what's really powerful is when someone shares their own statement, their own feeling, because they're not asking for you to believe it or agree with it it's almost impossible for you not to imagine it and then therefore relate to it and therefore feel it. And as soon as you start to feel it, then all of a sudden that becomes at that moment, it's an area of your life that you begin to care about as well. And that is very powerful, um, being able to just meet people where they are. So that leads into the other big question I had for you, which is it's, it's about feeling. And, and you're saying, you told me yesterday when we were having a session, you said you said that your company's vision and purpose is not to get leads and, and close sales, create customers. Your company's vision and purpose is to create, is to, to generate the feelings, to help the client ha- experience the feelings, have the experience you want them to have. And that that's the metric and that takes care of everything else. Could you talk about that? Yes. And I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine anyone hearing that too and just like, all right, wait, wait a second, your performance-based marketing company and the goal is not performance. Well, uh, of course, we, we have to perform. We all do. And one thing I would say, if there's any audience that maybe knows something about some of the loneliness of what it's like a day in your own shoes, the copywriting, persuasion, marketing, entrepreneur world can be lonely because the amount of pressure we have to meet certain KPIs and to returns and payroll, like there's a lot of pressure on all of us to deliver results. But the one thing, and this relates to what you just said, is that that pressure, those outcomes that we need to cause, they have nothing to do with the people we serve. The people we serve, that's about us. And those are our pressures. And we will bring those pressures often into our copy 
into our strategy, even into our vision. We are, without maybe even realizing it, we're looking at it from the way we need to look at it from our realities. But if we start to say, all right, the only reason that we're going to deliver whatever the results are that we're trying to deliver is because we're able to create a certain feeling, experience, hope, confidence, desire, so that that person that we serve desperately wants to do business with us and they feel great about it when they do it. And that's a big part of retention and lifetime value, by the way, is how people feel when they say yes. So to cause that to happen, we have to have a vision for how, for number one, we, we have, well, first we have to have an understanding of what our people are really feeling. And this might sound like, yeah, yeah, market research. I'm telling you right now that the 1% difference in you having more clarity about the customer and what they're feeling right now versus another company can be the differentiator. So having an understanding of what they're feeling and then having a vision for how you want to make them feel because people pursue, they, they're attracted to things that make them feel better. So as a marketer, we think, oh no, that's the salesperson's job. My job's just to get people excited, qualify them, and then I'll let the salespeople deal with more of the feeling stuff. And what we've learned in the kind of marketing we do is that some of the magic that salespeople have, some of that has to move forward in the experience to create that value. Because that's what happens when a salesperson builds the rapport, the trust, and people feel great. Tell me more about that product or tell me more. How does this work? I mean, how, how could I, I mean, we talk about call to actions, but imagine if we have people asking for action. Hey, can I, before we even give it to them? And that's the kind of experience when we talk about feelings. We believe that if people feel a certain way and believe a certain thing, the results will be whatever they will be aligned to that. No matter how badly we want to be to control, the market could care less <laughs> about our, our bonus or our next goal. So that's that's really what we mean by it is it's having a vision for how you want to make the people in your market feel. And yeah, I mean, I I know your process is very complex and nuanced, but if you know if people can take away one one key lesson from all of this, it seems like what you're saying is if you can authentically and without arousing suspicion, validate feelings people are uncomfortable with, maybe they're ashamed of, maybe they're angry about, maybe they're just closed down, that can open up a whole world to conversation and actually mm -hmm. having people pursue you as opposed to you having to pursue them. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. And one thing I would like to add to that is, you know, we've, we've, I will say there's, there's a really interesting thing that happened in one of our markets and it, it's a, it's a thing related to regulations, compliance. It's a really interesting challenge that we were faced with about three years ago. And one of the things we realized is, okay, we basically all the industry language, everything that we do, we have to rethink our whole approach to it. And we could not figure out how we were going to make a compelling enough offer to get people to move forward. Yep. And that basically opened up a door for us to go, well, what's left? What else do we have to work with? And that's where we didn't just kind of, kind of dabble more in an emotional approach, but we went all in because it was really our only way. And when we saw how effective that was and how people were feeling 
that's what was really that. I mean, this is where so much of these later like principles and, and beliefs that we have now have come from is that we've seen it firsthand. We've seen that, oh my goodness, the marketers, the, the industries that, that we're all in, they're going to, to the users, to the consumer's front door and they're knocking when they don't really have permission to knock and they're they're asking to open the door when they don't have permission to open the door and then even when they want to maybe touch and get get more emotional with you they're doing in a way that is obvious and the consumer can kind of feel the approach it's like telegraphing have you ever been with a salesperson and you can feel their script what would you say if you could be here in three months from now and if i would you be would you agree how would you feel about that I'm laughing because I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I guess my last question is I'm trying to put myself in the mind of a, a lot of listeners. And, you know, as as copywriters, we are so focused on numbers, on average order value, on conversion rate, on this and that. And obviously, ultimately on sales and profits. Your approach is very profitable, right? I mean, you're this works. This it, yes. And it, 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 it works in very competitive industries where there's a lot of regulation. Yeah, yes, it, 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 it does. And, that, and again, that, that's been part of the blessing, I think, for our company is um, we've, when we go into a market, we look at two things. Number one, we have a vision for the market. Like what role, what impact do we want to have in this place? And it's for us, it's never short term. It's always, you know, can we be here in five years, 10 years, 20 years from now serving this market? There's enormous compounding interest and value when you can go deep in a market. But what we do is we, we partner and go on a journey with figuring out what are the people in that market experiencing, what are the problems of the day, and how can we be there to serve them? But at the same time, on the other side, we're deeply committed to our national partners and figuring out how can we serve them? How can we help them become a better company? How can we, I mean, there's way more than I can share in this call, but there are so many things we've done to connect both sides to make an impact in an industry. And uh, I'll just say that the vision and purpose, if someone said one thing, like what's the big thing long-term that makes a big difference in your copy and in business and in partnerships, it's vision and purpose and, and, and being committed to that. Because all the hows can be figured out and there's, there's a process that you go through. But if, if your vision and purpose is just a financial outcome, it doesn't, you'll be lost at a certain point. Circumstances will change and you won't know what to do at that point. So in, in copy and in marketing, that, that I, I will say that's kind of the biggest thing is just saying, what is it that we want to accomplish in this market and how do we want to serve these people? And then the marketing should reflect that vision and that purpose. I, I, I want to point out one other thing, and that is I have a number of good friends, very successful copywriters and marketers who basically see the world as sharp elbows and adversarial. And okay, and it works. But what I hear you saying is you see yourself as partnering with the prospects and partnering with your ultimate clients, the, the big national companies. And, you know, if you were in Ojai or Marin County and, you know, sitting around cross-legged with incense, people go, yeah, what does Walt know? But you're, you're doing nine figures of business. You've really found a, 
a, a very specific practical way to do this. So I, I just want to point that out and, and thank you for coming on. I know it's not easy to talk around things you can't talk. And I know how much, how important it is to deliver value. And, and in my, by my light, you've delivered a lot today. So thanks, Walt. Uh, thanks for having me. And I do have a bonus if, if there's time, but no pressure. I want to jump in real quick at the end of the show and just say that what I loved about this conversation was the approach that most copywriters take is once people get to my sales page, how can I make sure that they buy? How can I put everything into this sales page to make sure that somebody buys? What I really got from this conversation was the approach could be once people get to my sales page, how do I make sure that they're already ready to buy? So I don't have to do all the heavy lifting on the sales page. They're already primed and the people that get there have already been I don't want to say conditioned, but they feel comfortable making the purchase even before they hit the sales page. And that was just super powerful. And yeah, absolutely. If you've got something else for our listeners, make sure that you plug it before we're out of here. Yeah, that's a great, a great point, Nathan. And and, uh, I will say at a certain point when you need your sales page to convert a certain level, the question becomes, can I make it any more persuasive? Can my benefits or my my testimonials or my offer be any greater? And eventually you hit a point where the answer is not really. So then you go, then what? Now what? How do I keep going? And that's where if you just start really focusing on those, if they're in the right state of mind, if they're in the right emotional state, they're feeling really good and confident. You as a copywriter are going to have to work nearly as hard as you think you do to cause the result. Yeah, I love it. So what's your bonus? Okay. My, my bonus is we did a Facebook campaign uh, a few years ago, and it w- that was when we kind of started going more of oh, Siri on my phone thinks I just beckoned her. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. By the way, that's a scary thing of the future with AI, you know? So I keep telling our company, they're like, everybody's going all in on AI. I'm like, we're going all in on humans with the help of AI. So we're, we're but anyways, okay, so back to the bonus. What we discovered is we had an ad that just woke people up. We were like, could we create an advertisement that just got people talking? All positive conversation, which is almost impossible in ads. I mean, really, really hard. It took us about three months to figure out how to do it. We did it and people would click on it. And I don't even know why, but some people started actually filling out our forms. And I was like, there's no offer. <laughs> there's... I didn't even put a benefit in that advertisement. What in the world is going on? And for us, by the way, most magical word as a, as a marketer, copywriter, persuader is why. Like, you know, see the result, get excited about it, but then just ask why. So what we realized is we woke something up emotionally in people. And that's like people's engine. That's what gives them the energy to move in a direction. Well, our landing page, though, put the business hat on. It says time to start thinking more critically and analytically and logically. And there was a disconnect there. Even though we were getting results, it still wasn't good enough to scale. So we kind of had an epiphany at that point. We said, wait a second, this ad put people in a state of kind of emotionally discovering something. Why in the world would we want to stop that? And what we realized is, wait a second, the best things that we discover in life happen when we're in this emotional state of discovering something. Someone's not force feeding us, putting a spoon in our mouth. It's funny, we, 
we don't technically all truly want to be a hero, <laughs> but we do like to discover things that makes us feel good. And we trust the things that we discover ourselves. So what we realized is on the landing page, if we could make our copy, all the points that we would normally want to make where we're just making a, a claim or we're asking you to take our word for it, we started leaving things a little bit more open and more subtle so that they can start making the conclusions themselves. And by understating our benefits and sharing different, you know, anecdotal stories or comments, we started realizing, wait, when people are in this state of emotional discovery, like they just keep going. And when it comes time to convert and, and get the sale or generate the lead, they believe in it because it was their idea. And we all know this in real life. And this is, this is the kind of the, maybe the final point of anything is nothing that we can do in the digital or the copy world is greater than that, which is already true and real in us as people. <laughs> so, and this is our biggest inspiration for everything we do is just studying what, what is all the good stuff that's happening in the world and in sales and in business and in people's lives. And can we be in alignment with that? And if we can, there's far greater power with less effort than if we create something that's kind of genetically modified. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you head over to copywriterspodcast.com to catch more. And before we're out of here, if people want to get a hold of you, Walt, what's the best way? I don't want to put it in the show notes because as marketers, we know what happens when you put an email in the show notes. But what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they want to? Sure. Uh, so my email, W Birch, W B U R C H J R, W Birch Jr. at Envoy, E N V O Y Media Group.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye bye. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.